0: my fellow anarcho-arbitrageurs, I'm John Miller, and this is Everybody Trades. And if you know me, you know I like, well, many things, but at least two that are at the front of mind for myself today. And that is, of course, the importance of language and words and the foundational nature that they have in all of our society, and especially... Well, if you think about it, language is especially important and its proper use is especially important in terms of legal matters, whether that's passing some laws, passing some sort of legislation or regulation via executive order from the executive branch, or it's even in some sort of contract that you've drawn up between you and another person or multiple parties, whatever it might be. Clearly, if you're going to enter into some sort of agreement involving a lot of capital, a lot of money, a lot of property, then obviously the language that is in that contract, or the language, again, that's in some sort of legislation, could not be more critically important. I think we can all agree with that, right? But unfortunately, what a lot of people do not agree with me, and by a lot of people, I mean, frankly, the majority... Of our society, and I can certainly say the majority of American society, and I feel pretty safe in saying that the majority of the world would disagree with me on this assessment. But I'll show you some inherent ironies in that particular sentiment that I think will be quite illustrative. Now here's what I'm get. Ga- here's what I'm gabbing about here. Now, in the 20th century, and really starting in the 19th century with the industrial revolutions. People started living much, much longer and longer qualities of life. So what would happen is enough people would build up enough wealth and would literally start living long enough that there was a thing that started coming around, particularly in the 20th century, called retirement. Yes, this was a new concept to most of civilization and mankind indeed. Because guess what? We didn't have enough money. We didn't have enough wealth. And most importantly, we didn't have enough time and savings in order to live the last 10, 20, however many years of your life it might be, depending on your situation, and simply retire. Simply live off of your savings in your final days is what retirement was. Well, then, of course, in the 20th century, in the 1930s more specifically, Social Security came around. And again, since it's now been some 80-plus years since that law was put into place, people are now totally used to the idea of Social Security, so much so that most people obviously were not alive and certainly were not conscious enough to even have an opinion on Social Security when it was coming around, even if they were alive in the 1930s. So people are so used to this concept, it's difficult for them to see how a retirement could be possible without this thing that we call Social Security. And similarly, in the 20th century, the United States government officially took control of the money supply with the passing of, among other things, but specifically the Federal Reserve Act of 1913. Now again, 1913, we're now talking more than 100 years ago, so almost literally no one alive, I can say pretty much literally no one alive, could have had an opinion about the Federal Reserve Act back in 1913. So again, it's really, really difficult for most people to then conceptualize how money would be created without the federal leviathan known as the Treasury and the Federal Reserve. How could it happen if it weren't for this large centralized authority taking control of the whole thing again national defense similar deal public education there's lots of things that took hold in the 20th century and continue to take hold today to the point where it's really tough for people to think about how these things would exist without a central authority being in charge of them to the point where If you're a libertarian, if you're an anarcho-capitalist, you're just a small government type, one thing people will always push back against is, well, without the government, who would build the roads? Well, again, my contention is people would build the roads. Again, the current companies who are contracted by the government, that's who would build the roads. So that brings me back to my first point where we first got here. That was talking about language. And again, once again, how much more critically important, how much more foundational to what the legal system is than language and its proper application and its proper use? So what's my point here? Well, there is no centralized authority that controls language. Now, at the very least, is that not deeply ironic? That the most important part, the the cornerstone of all legislation, of all contracts, everything like that, the absolute cornerstone foundation by definition is the language, is the written word. So again, at least that's deeply ironic. And it should also make you stop and think, well, wait a minute. If there's this big, massive thing called language, this really important thing called language that is not under the purview of any government entity how is it that it works so well then? Now, before we get there, before I answer that particular question, let's think about, actually, let's just define more specifically what exactly I mean by central authority. Because you might be saying, now, wait a minute, there are centralized institutions, if you will, like Merriam-Webster, the Oxford Dictionary, etc. There are institutions, large institutions that do have large, important say on the meaning of words, on what language actually is. Well, that's totally correct. But again, centralized, what I mean by that is the monopoly of force, okay? When the government says you have to pay your taxes in order to prop up something like Social Security, whatever it might be, they're not asking. Again, the the central power there is indeed the power, the legal use of force, essentially. That is that is the ultimate privilege that the government has. So obviously, that legal use of force stands in stark contrast to the power that Merriam-Webster has. While yes, Webster's does have much more power to decide what the meaning of a word is than you and I do as individuals, Again, that's, that stands in wild contrast, in really obvious contrast, to what the government can do, right? We can all agree with that, I would hope. So now getting back to how our language works in this country, right? We have the First Amendment. We have free speech for the most part, okay? I'm sure you could maybe quibble with little things on the margins, but just for this discussion, let's assume that, there's, that it's just wild and it's chaotic, essentially, except wait. Obviously, again, language is not chaotic. If it were, you couldn't understand the thoughts that were coming out of my mouth into this microphone and out through your iPod or your device, whatever it is you were listening to right now. This would just be gobbledygook if there was no order to it. So again, clearly, we there is natural order to language. So how can this be possible? Well, first of all, I'd point out that while... Everybody who is the big, who is an advocate of government, of government action, one of the big things they'll point to is that democracy is the version of that that works. Well, if you think about it, the way our language works is also a democracy. One thing that has been kind of annoying me lately to the point where I've noticed it's accidentally slipping into my language as well is the overuse of the word literally. Not only is it being often used incorrectly, it's being used unnecessarily as a form of emphasis as opposed to showing a contrast between, hey, I literally mean that this guy got his head knocked off, for instance. Whereas you might say in a boxing match, oh, he knocked his head off, when you wouldn't mean he literally knocked his head off. But, boy, this has gotten a little dark, but... That was, the, that was the example that popped into my head was decapitating somebody. Something is wrong with me, folks. But I think you get my point. The point is, is literally had a purpose and now it's become another purpose, a purpose that I frankly don't like that much. But you know what? I believe that Webster's, if, I believe that they've accepted now that an alternate form of literally isn't just, no, you aren't. Saying in contrast to a figurative saying or whatever it might be, they're now saying another form of literally is just emphasis, just that. So apparently, the democracy has spoken. The democracy of language has spoken. And that's why different words, slang words, will emerge. And eventually, they'll either be adopted, even if they aren't adopted by Miriam or Oxford or any of the other various competing dictionary outlets in this world, if we as a society adopt them, if, if people in different cultures, different neighborhoods, different parts, geographic parts of the country, of the world, if they're adopting these things and if they're centrally understood, i should, maybe centrally is the wrong word, but just, uh, you know, regionally understood, just in a, in a very broad sense to Again, there's a common language there, a community. That, that's part of what makes a community and a culture is the shared language. And again, the point is, is, not, is that that just naturally emerges among people. Apparently, that's how we work. Again, the point is we don't need some language authority. We don't need the ministry of language to show us all how to speak. That's just not accurate. And we will pass down language through our children just they'll they'll learn they learn how to speak just hearing us speak. You don't even necessarily have to have them sit in a class in a formal sense for language to emerge. Now I'm not saying that formal education is bad. That's not my point. My point is is it naturally emerges even without that sort of structure. So the point of all of this is to say that if something as important and foundational is language, can essentially be left to run wild. Well, again, nature is wild, but there's lots of order in nature as well. Essentially, people find their own order. They manage to find their own order. And language is just one example of that. And ultimately, my point here is really that prices are just another form of language. They're another form of language that doesn't need to be messed with via price floors, price price ceilings, subsidies, tax increases, tax breaks. All this centralized messing around, this social engineering, all this stuff is actually unnecessary. I just think it's interesting that while I would imagine that almost everybody listening to this, even if they disagree with me on what I just said about prices and their ability to be free, Well, they almost all agree with me in terms of the language being free. That tends to be a value, at least at this point, that is still alive and well in American culture, thankfully. Well, it may be dwindling, but I still feel like it's a majority. Let's put it that way. And my contention is language is really just about us. It's about people. It's how we act. It's it's about our behavior. It's about our natural order and our ability to naturally figure things out via peaceful social cohesion and talking. Well, again, part of that, you can't really separate that from trade, from doing business with people, from having contractual agreements, from all these different things. They're all, to me, they're all interconnected because it's all about us as people. You can't just separate us into, well, the the peace part, that's different. The language part, that's different from from us doing business with each other because it's really it's all about just how people interact and it's all about peaceful interaction that is free from aggression by a third party that frankly was never needed never wanted and never asked for so with that little piece of thought sandwich (laughs) that's a new phrase i just made up i'm gonna leave you with that here on everybody trade so thanks again for joining me once again hopefully i was able to land that plane there at the very end. I'd like to think I did. So, until next time, I'm John Miller, and this has been Everybody Treats.